You are listening to the PHP Ugly Podcast. And despite what the title may lead you to believe, this is a podcast about the joys and challenges of being a professional PHP developer. Your hosts are three passionate developers who make a living coding and who live stream every week to discuss coding, projects, work, tech, and running a business. And now, here are your hosts, Eric Van Johnson, John Congdon, and Tom Rideout. You're listening to episode 209 of PHP Ugly, your weekly dose of PHP development from a couple of real-world PHP developers. If you're listening to our audio podcast, we record live weekly Thursday around 9 p.m. Come join us. You can participate. This is this is now a, a participation show. Uh, you can watch us on just about any platform, use their chat client, or if you even want to chat with us, during the week, you can join us in our Discord, where a lot of our regular listeners hang out, we hang out, and we just kind of carry on a conversation all week long. If you're wondering who I am, I'm Eric, and with me Hi, Eric. are my friends John. <laughs> I love messing with you. And just I saying. use friend very loosely with him. <laughs> and Thomas. I don't blame you. Hello. How are you guys doing? I, having <laughs> Having fun. It's been a strange week. Oh, no kidding. I think I need to get in touch with our intro lady on Fiverr and have her add the whole live broadcast thing. Because I'd like when when people tune into the show live and participate and ask questions. Because we have no content. I mean, we're just winging this. If people can bring something to the table, it just makes our job a lot easier. Okay, no, we have content, but some of it got blacklisted because of what happened last week. And then all of a sudden, that's the only news this week. Yeah, so if you're not a big fan of Laravel, and you know who you are, Steve, (laughs) this might not be the the show for you. Uh, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of Laravel talk in this show. Just kind of giving you a heads up. I now <laughs> I want to I want to preface by saying I don't think it's a lot of Laravel talk. I think it's a lot of framework do's and don'ts and personality talk. Okay, that's fine. Because um, I can, actually we, are, we, I we can start to, with we, that. We, I was gonna say we don't have to jump in right there. We we've all had weeks <laughs> that we could talk about. Yeah, I yeah, only I have mean, one actual Laravel problem this week. So save it, it save a, it. Towards the end of the show, we're going to talk about Laravel. So hang out with us until then. If you don't like it, then turn us. <laughs> I mean, seriously, why put somebody through that, John? Oh my goodness. I'm sure I'll have a lot more to say in a week or two, because starting next week, I think I'm slated to rewrite my Laravel 5.7 app in 8. I think I, I was cleared for two weeks just oh. to do that so then oh. i can feel your pain and then we can talk about Got it. the green light there that's right? a bit, bit of a crunch well right, I, let's, let's, I wanna, let's i want to i do want to clarify our position on laravel is that we <laughs> we all use laravel and we got some criticism no, on twitter we don't, we don't all well, use let's laravel. let's talk about that later yeah let's let, calm down john john okay was your okay, okay. He, well, we're gonna get to it thomas <laughs> thomas is just excited Chomping thomas is excited I, we see that. Calm down. We're good. <laughs> I've been in. I've been in testing heaven this week. I oh, love. Geez. All right, I Thomas. Love... How, t- let's not talk about Laravel. <laughs> Come on. He did not say. He did not say vegan heaven. It's okay. You can let him continue. Test. I, I, I do love when I get to do real TDD. When I get the right unit test. I do like it a lot. I did ask last week about testing specifically in Laravel, and we, we got some feedback on that. 
Don't you love that? Isn't it weird? Like, wait, somebody listened to that show and, and responded? Right. But I, I still have so many questions and so many concerns. Uh, I still think models are abused instead of just being a data access point. There's so much functionality put into models that I don't know that should be there. And all of my understanding around unit testing is you don't use a database unless you have to. So if you are testing your data access layer and you want to make sure data persists, you want to use a real database. But when you're testing the rest of your application, you want to limit your database as much as possible to make your tests faster. And the fact that it just feels like people throw models anywhere they want and then they just say, you know, because it, the relationships are so easy to get from one piece of data to the next, they just get they. I feel like it gets abused and makes unit testing harder where you actually have to have a database. So when you say it gets abused, and we're talking about Laravel models, if you're if you're not familiar with the Laravel framework, it might, might take some taking getting caught up here. When you say you feel they get abused, are you referring to how you define how you define the relationships to? One from one model to the other. Are you saying no, that shouldn't be in the model? No, no, not necessarily. Not that. So okay. the more I've been using doctrine as of late, mm-hmm. you you have this idea of entities, which are really, um, uh, I can't think of this, where you can't change the object. Immutable. They're really immutable, immutable objects. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're mutable, but nothing happens with the database until you call the entity manager. So you really have these objects that you can use within your unit test very easily where we where i feel like eloquent is is it's an active record so you are mm-hmm. just the the fact of getting it you are hitting the database you are doing so much more work and when i say abuse i don't mean the relationship piece maybe it's just the way i've seen some models being used but there's actual processes put into the the model itself. So it's not just a database yeah. access layer, but it's also a data manipulation layer. Yeah, that might be a, an abuse of power there. Because uh, f- for me, I mean, I typically scope, m- my model is, is limited to the data that it's related to, data that that relates to, in the scope of that data. So I, I, might, I might put scopes on my model where I might do a certain filter where I'm only looking for admins or I'm only looking for for active clients or something, but I don't do any, okay, that's logic, but I don't do any real logic in my model, if that makes sense. I think it comes down to you have things, it depends on where you're doing your persistence at, where you're calling save from and all that. If you're using, this is where I think the repository pattern comes into. If you are able, if you're able to, well, but you're not a fan when it comes to testing. And I think that's where, you would really see the benefit. You don't do unit tests. Just wait, knock me off my hill there, John. (laughs) Trying to support you, but whatever. Where I think you would see the most benefit in your repository pattern would be if you were doing unit testing. Because you could inject your repository, and then you could say, this repository is going to give me back an object and a model. But then you can mock that model and not actually have to touch the database to do any of your actual work. Yep. I, I do agree with you there. So that that's where my confusion came from. I really feel like the model itself, the Laravel-specific model, I, I think calling it a model is where things get a little murky because it's really the database access layer at that point really sh- is all it should be focused on. And yes, you can have unit tests around that, 
but it shouldn't be, you shouldn't be calling save all over the place in your code. That should be, I feel that should be being done through a repository. I agree with you there as well. I do like that. I like that pattern a lot. How about you, Thomas? How was your week? Mine? Um, He's going to talk about Twitter. Eric, how was your week? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I realized uh, during our conversation last week at the end of the episode that my brilliant way of handling my Laravel mix issues wasn't in fact brilliant. And I was flushing the manifest every time I ran it and destroying everything. Uh, that's, so, why I was, that's why I was so slow to run. No, this was my fix for the performance issue. So, mm-hmm. so I got that fixed. Um, but then today realized that our CDN was not updating to the latest version of the assets when we pushed out. And this is after a solid week of having this thing running in production. Just CSS changes. Oh, is is this part of your build process? Yeah. Gotcha. Um, It turns out our CDN uh, doesn't pass through the query variables as part of its caching algorithm. So it just checks the file name and caches the file name. And when we update the CDN, it does not flush the cache for the files. That's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. And it turns out Laravel Mix does not have a method for hashing the file name itself. Laravel Mix only supports adding a random number to the end of the the query string. You want to know my workaround for it? My hacky workaround for it? What was your workaround? It's not a mix thing at all. And maybe it should be, but in my in my templates, I put in let's say it's style.css. I change it to style underscore in MD5 of the file.css. And then in my Apache rewrite configuration, I look for anything underscore with 32 characters dot oh, dude dot jpeg css. It works because nothing's going to cache a file name. <laughs> I mean, so they'll cast a, I, I, cast actually, a file name, but... Was, I was actually going to applaud him. I, I thought that was pretty pretty, uh, pretty I, good. I, I started doing that years well, ago, and it's we're still doing it. There are some Laravel Mix plugins that can fix this. Uh, I've tried three of them, and all three of them had their own massive drawbacks. Um, one of them worked perfect, except that it couldn't parse my jQuery stuff. So jQuery dot thing dot min dot version dot JS. It just mm-hmm. couldn't find, it couldn't find the file in the file system for some reason. Interesting. Um, huh? So yeah, I, I don't know. It threw an error. I'm not a node guy. I didn't dig deep enough to figure it out. So I tossed that. Um, and I already had a command that was chunking my webpack up into what I'll, what I'll say different sites. Cause we have this one, thing that's hosting 10 or 15 different sites. And so I just have it so that it it breaks it up and only processes one site at a time, reads the mix manifest into memory, and then finishes by compiling a completed mix manifest out of the total output. And that works really well. And since I'm pulling the mix manifest into memory anyways, I just did a loop over the files in the manifest and renamed them and then changed the manifest destination to the renamed destination. But how does that fix your caching issue? Your template, yeah, the caching issue. Aren't you still calling a single file? So your temp, how does your templates know what file to use? So with Laravel Mix, when you call the mix command, you give it the intended file name, and mix returns the endpoint file name. So I have mix calling app.css, and Laravel Mix returns 
hey, app.cs is actually app.51398246.css, and it points it at the CDN and gets that. So the templates, the blade templates just say app.css. The mix file is the one that handles the conversion to the actual endpoint file name. Huh? The, how does your, how do the templates, the templates have to point to a file? How does that work? Or is that just a I move the file. Thing? I move the file move the fi- and change the value of the mix manifest to a .md5 version of the file. So how is that different than what I said I did? But beside the point. I st- I'm still confused. Because I'm updating temp- my manifest. I don't understand the whole manifesting. Your templates point to slash something slash something.css slash yes. app.css. How does your template then know to change that from app.css to app.md5.css? Because the mix command in Blade, in your Blade template, looks up the actual... Oh, there's a, there's a mix command in In Blade. the Blade template. Yeah, and that command... That's what I was missing. Yeah. Every time you said mix, I thought you were talking about mix on the, the command The execution. Line. No, no, no. Right. The mix command in the Blade template looks up the key value pair in the mix uh, manifest. So is that is that why you're saying you screwed up by blowing away your manifest? Right, because I was doing it in chunks, and so every time mix finished, I would have to read the manifest and save it, and then once all of the chunks were complete, I'd have to build out the manifest over based off of all the chunks it had created in that loop. Gotcha. So it works. It's still really slow and i don't like it but i was i was shocked and amazed when i pushed it out and it worked the first time i pushed it out today all right so that's making a lot more sense you're still doing something similar to what i'm doing i'm just doing it differently yes i'm i'm using the manifest the mix manifest to find the actual endpoint and that and that allows the cache busting that i needed and so i'm all set okay all right I was so confused when you, you you shook your head like I was doing something so horribly wrong by putting an MD5 in my file name, and you're doing the same thing. He's doing the exact I'm, same thing. I'm so, I'm so confused. Why? <laughs> well, because your way sounds a lot easier, and I spent five hours on this today. <laughs> I nerds. Nerds, can we take a moment of appreciation? It is that time of year again where we have the Major League Baseball playoffs going on, the NBA championship game going on, and NFL going on all at the same time. You can watch all three professional sports on one day of the week. It's thank you, Trump. It's amazing. It's amazing. Don't, 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 don't go there. (laughs) He said, don't get me started for it. He said, we had to thank him for it. Anyway, go ahead. it, it was interesting Lots last week prayers. in in our in our post game show when we were talking uh, was when the news hit that Trump tested positive for COVID. It was crazy how that happened, but you know everything's fine now. He's a superhuman, and and you know nobody else has anything else to worry about because we all have access to the same medical. All right, care. let's move on. All right, <laughs> yes. So you might notice that my my office is a little darker this week. I finally got my little stage one of my aquaponic experience going. So I got my little betta fish now. And and those lights were actually UV lights designed for to help plants grow inside. So I have I have my little betta fish who's he has lots of plants inside. Who has a happy little life in his big tank in the attic. Which I I I did I discovered I didn't realize betta fish were carnivores. Did you did you guys know betta fish were carnivores? Yes. That's the weirdest thing. They're so small. Like, how can they be a carnivore? I'm like, read. Smaller I'm like, look fish. at the food I got to feed them. <laughs> Anyways, 
That's yeah. <laughs> so he's living in he's living in a tank. There, the plants that I have. So the whole idea with aquaponics is that the water goes up into a bed. It filters through uh, plants, which filter out the water, uh, cleans the water. The water gets oxygen, and it goes back into the tank. So the all you have to do, ideally, with the fish is feed it, if because he's indoor. Some really nice ones that are out outside and have enough bugs can theoretically live on their own. But I've only had this running for like two or three days. And I, I went and bought a couple of plants because I was very concerned whether or not the water is going, going to get filtered. I didn't want the poor little fish to have to struggle for oxygen or anything. So I, uh, I, I planted a couple of uh, plants that had roots. So I knew that the water was getting filtered. Then I had one bed that I just put seeds in. That bed is already sprouting little plants. It's crazy. It's only been like three days, three or four days. So I'm very excited and I'm already planning on how I'm going to scale that up. I love this stuff. This is cool. A whole little science technology thing. My ultimate goal is to make it completely self-sufficient where it's outside I can have solar panels running the pump. So that's the big thing right now is that I still have to use power for the lights and I have to use power for the pump. So ideally I put it outside. It gets natural UV. I put a solar panel on there to run the pump and all I have to do is feed the fish. In which case I'm going to actually do a little raspberry pie experiment to make it feed the fish for me. Cause I think I can do it. And I'll have a completely self-sufficient system that grows fruit, uh, fruit. Grows vegetables and stuff for me, uh, you know, the stuff you use to cook with and herbs and you it's self sufficient up until he has to go put more fish food into the fish food hopper. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm very excited. This is something I've been wanting to do for a long time. But you've uh, been talking about it for years. I I can attest to that. <laughs> so I now, I'm, I'm so people get an accurate cool. picture of this. It is about the size of a shoebox. Mm, current. That's currently. Right. Yeah. Yes. Currently, this one. So I don't want but people I mean, to think you've like converted a portion of your house into this aquaponic scape. But that's what people do. I mean, you you just get a tub and you know, you get you get fish like the, the You big, kick your kids out of the house and use their tub. Yeah. The big aquaponic farms even run into the issue of the fish breeding too much and them having too many fish. And so They'll either sell the fish to, to people who want to buy fish or whatever. I mean, they, they do like the big, like, river sort of fish. I don't think I'll ever get to that that phase. But, but yeah, it's fun stuff, man. It's it's the whole, it's the whole kind of uh, relationship. What's a symbiotic relationship where one thing depends on the other thing for survival? I'm telling you, man. It's, it's cool. I'm excited. I love this stuff. I love science. When science and technology merge, I love it. Uh, so two questions. What is the name of the fish and how, what does this have to do with your lighting situation? I love <laughs> that you asked that question. He is a blue beta and I naturally named him Diego. What's up? And the lighting situation is because the lights that I was using in my office for the show were the UV lights that I had to now put on the tank to grow the plants. You were using the, UV guess... lights for your <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. I, I, I need a suntan. How do you think I kept this beautiful tan on my face? We record an hour a week. It, it wasn't that bad, trust me. Yeah, next <laughs> next year we'll have this, the skin cancer episode. I don't know how it happened. I got skin cancer all over my face. <laughs> I don't know how I got coronavirus. I've only been hugging people with no mask. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm excited. And that's something else I, just, I learned about beta fish. Not only are they carnivores, but... They don't like 
UV. Like so, fortunately, the plants. <laughs> so I put UV on, on them anyway. The plants are on top of a top of his tank, so the UVs don't actually hit him. But yeah, it's cool. Ah, uh, so the UV light is actually for the plants, not for the fish. Gotcha. Yeah, the, yeah, for the plants to, to grow. Our, our resident uh, cartoonist is is offering. I believe he's offering to make me a character of uh, Diego the fish. Don't think that's and the way I'm, it's going. I'm I'm very much down for that, Andy. I, I appreciate. <laughs> Andy's like, wait, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. okay so we're 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 like what. 10, 15 minutes of the show. We've already talked about Laravel about a dozen times. Uh, let's go. Let's do this. Let's talk. Let's talk, Thomas. What are you doing, Thomas? Um, I'm putting the, the beta fish in here. <laughs> Live editing. See, there you this go. Is what you, you miss out on this when you listen to the audio podcast. Just You're just going to do it on all the slides now? Is that is that the idea? Okay. No, I'm just I'm just putting them on your your picture. <laughs> uh, well, the first off, first off, let's start with the good news. Uh, DigitalOcean this week launched their app platform, which is their Heroku type clone. Uh, oh, interesting! I didn't know this. And the day they launched this. We got an article um, from I don't know who, because he didn't put his name on it, about deploying Laravel to DigitalOcean. Uh, A-T-Y-M-I-C dot dev. So is this supposed to be like the serverless architecture? Is that? Yeah. So I believe that this is supposed to be sort of serverless style architecture. Um, It's on the apps tab on the DigitalOcean dashboard. Uh, You link it to your GitHub account and it manages the whole thing, I guess. Yes, like oh, I haven't it, played it, it with actually, it. It actually looks more like a Forge replacement, where because we still use Forge for a couple of reasons. One, we want to help support Taylor early. I guess he doesn't need it so much anymore. But uh, but it is it is also pretty convenient as far as managing servers when you do deployments. This looks like it might be similar. To, oh yeah, look at that environmental variables. Did they buy Heroku because the the command is actually Heroku PHP. Apache, how are they using? Wait a minute, you need to help me out here, Thomas. Is this part of Heroku? What, what's going on here? I didn't read the whole thing. Jesus it, Christ! It, <laughs> it does. It does say it's a Heroku alternative in the space. It's it's way way cheaper than Heroku. Uh, yes, yeah, seven bucks for a two hundred and fifty six meg instance and one gig of disk. All right, so this yeah. is Digital o- Oceans. What's the, what's the platform called? Do you, do you even know that? Do we apps. have a name just, for it? Just apps. Digital Ocean app platform. Apps. Okay. Yes, this looks very very similar to Heroku. If you have experience with Heroku, as far as everything's set up through the the uh, UI, in there's no need. I don't see any need yet to actually log into the server, um, but yeah, it also it also looks very similar to Forge as well. Actually, this looks pretty cool. We're going to have to hey, try this out. Hey, look, there's a big new th- uh, flag on it in our manage section on DigitalOcean. Really should log into that more often, I guess, <laughs> and not not that manage just, everything through just, Forge. <laughs> that that just proves that our systems run so well. That we don't need to log in there very often. That's that's true. I, I I will I will I'm willing to give DigitalOcean some props here. 
They're rock solid and very simple to use. Uh, this looks pretty damn cool, man. This looks pretty damn cool. I gotta say. Hmm. Okay, so you should. I should have looked at your cards before the show started because I think this is something worthy talking about. But this is cool, Thomas. Thanks for bringing this to my attention. I I will probably give this a shot. We'll look at it some this week or before next episode. So that's the good Laravel news. <laughs> The bad Laravel news is that uh, Taylor rage quit Reddit. <laughs> to be honest, it's probably not a bad move. He's, no, he's not. He doesn't really strike me as a Reddit person. I'm not. I'm not criticizing that move at all. Uh, and then shortly afterwards, he did a, a sort of a live stream where he just took questions and gave answers. Uh, a lot of it revolving around the the skeletonization of the app. Or of the auth stuff in Laravel eight, the, the the yeah the jet stream and, and yeah the previously deprecated uh, notice of the old uh, uh, scaffolding UI uh, stuff. So yeah, and so let, yeah, let's, he, let's talk he, about that. Well, he tweeted out. Uh, well, it actually started right. before him, right? Didn't didn't it start before him? Some people some people tweeted their 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 dissatisfaction with Jetstream. Yes. And and they were rightfully concerned because when they went to the Laravel website, because they were going to use the older version of the auth uh, on the website, it said that that was being deprecated, which has a very specific and, meaning and do in not, our world. do not use. Right. And it, and it has a very specific meaning, and that's alarming. It's alarming to people using Laravel four through seven who still might be using it and saying, wait a minute, the auth system that we've had, it's being deprecated now. I guess it hasn't been that long, but the existing users were concerned. New users who didn't like Jetstream were concerned and they expressed their dissatisfaction. So in the way that the the internet knows how to do best. So this is where I guess I'm, I'm missing out a little bit because I didn't see any criticism that seemed like it was that harsh. I mean, okay, I have so opinions on this. But... I have links to all of it. Okay. Uh, the tweet from Taylor was, I had been trying to answer more questions on on our Laravel lately to be more involved, but I have decided to delete my account. I can't be part of a quote-unquote community where I'm an quote-unquote arrogant asshole who quote-unquote needs therapy and demands his followers quote-unquote lick his asshole. Now, were there Yikes. quotes within quotes within quotes or was there three separate quotes or was it... Uh, I, I need called, to know how... It's the, called professionalism uh, in podcasting. Okay. <laughs> quote-unquote lick my asshole. <laughs> so, uh, this, of course, stirred up a lot of conversation because people said, well, who's who's being the asshole here? Who's calling you out and being mean and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it, it came down to not handling criticism, uh, saying, I think you did this wrong. Pe- the way people are on the internet, which is that they're just abrasive by default. They can't help it. Um, and he took a lot of uh, umbrage at the, at the claim that he had built an echo chamber for himself. And I think, I think that's, well, I hope that's a regular uh, criticism. If it's not, then he must be—he must have a spy in our Slack channel. I mean, there's that option as well. But <laughs> well, so I, I, I here's, thought, here's okay. the problem. He in his video, he directly addressed that and said he has not built an echo chamber. He reads a lot of stuff and he's very involved in the community and doing what they say. And and I believe him. However, 
he also has the habit of blocking people who say things he doesn't like. And the end result of doing that on a regular basis is accidentally creating an echo chamber. Exactly. So he may not... That's a very valid point, Thomas. He may not believe that he has built an echo chamber, but he has dug himself into a position that is very echoey. Uh, and, And I... I can understand how that happens. I mean, that this this is the internet. I have built myself an echo chamber. My Facebook is absolutely an echo chamber. But I'm not in charge of a project that pushes hundreds of millions of dollars around the internet. Um, and the criticisms that are being launched at him, while they may sometimes be insulting or coming from a negative place are not invalid. There are real issues. Uh, and the issues are getting muted in favor of the praise. So that's, I mean, that's basically... I, I do want to take a, a small step back. And it's funny to hear you guys talk about him not handling the criticism, where it feels like the two of you kind of took a little criticism a little too far from a, a, a friend of ours named Steve. <laughs> See, I feel like I responded very kindly to him, and you guys were like, all over the poor guy. I'm just saying. How were we all over the poor guy? I told him he probably <laughs> made a good decision not to listen to our show. I, I don't understand. You, you rage quit Steve. Um, you just- <laughs> we love you, Steve. You know, we're just messing with you. We're just messing. I told you I stopped caring a long time ago. And Taylor needs to take a, uh, take a page out of my playbook. So... I, I do want to talk about this a little, little more. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to spend the whole show on it because clearly Steve doesn't like us talking about Laravel too much. Just kidding, Steve. We like you, Steve. You're still, you're not, you, 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 you got some tears to climb before you're, you're up high. Until, enough, uh, until you're a buttery. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah long way from Mr. Buttery Carpets, my friend. Haven't, haven't earned your lanyard, your mini lanyard yet. So stop calling it a mini lanyard. It's a freaking keychain. <laughs> You're setting that bar way too high. It's... <laughs> okay, so back on the Laravel issue. I, I think you nailed it uh, with the echo chamber uh, analogy, Thomas. Uh, he might not feel like he's creating an echo chamber, but he is. I mean, by not listening to criticism, by filtering that stuff out, you're you're just... You're, it's a it's an echo chamber. I, I I it's been one of my criticisms of him for a while. I've even told him that uh, so much uh, in in DMs, which is probably he he referenced in one of the restraining orders. I, it's fine, <laughs> but um, but more so, I think we we had we've had this conversation in our company Slack. Laravel is a big deal to us because a lot of our business is built around the decision to go with Laravel now. I say that with the full understanding that if we had to pivot tomorrow, there's nothing I think we've developed that we couldn't pivot off Laravel. So I feel pretty good about that. We use Laravel. We have our reasons behind using Laravel. And, you know, I don't, I don't have no pro, I don't have a problem with it. As John says, I'm always defending Laravel. That's apparently my job at Diego Dev, and I'm fine with it. Um, I will say, as us doing that, as professionals doing that, we did put some of our reputation behind Laravel. So when there are major shifts in the framework that causes a disruption in development, that's our reputation on the line to our clients on why we have to make these moves, why we have to make these changes, why they have to pay us. 80 hours 
to change from one off system to another off system. For an example, we haven't had to do that yet, but I'm just saying, if you have a professional business where you've staked some of your reputation on the framework, there is a financial reason why people get upset about these decisions. And that's part of the thing. Yeah, I can, I can absolutely, as as part of that, I can absolutely say I've spent, I've spent two weeks dealing with Laravel Mix because uh, Elixir is no longer part of the ecosystem and there's no backup plan for that. So two weeks of my time is not cheap for my company. And that's a very natural thing for my boss to get upset about. I, I do know in the open source world, there are people who aren't about the open source message, who are more than happy to be critical of decisions for no reason except for the fact that it inconveniences them. They don't have a professional reason to be upset. They're hobbyists. They just don't think something was right. And I do have a problem with that. But that's just that's just part of the open source world. I mean, you just you just know that. Now, what I do have a problem with at this stage from Taylor specifically, and I'm okay if this gets to him. And Taylor, if you want to talk about it, you know how to get in touch with me. You've got my lawyer's number. Uh, <laughs> is that um, Taylor himself has built a very large, couple of large businesses through the Laravel name. and Which so he has every right to do, which is awesome. It's ab- Absolutely. It's, it's his yeah. project. This was his project. He created this. He owns it. To be clear, we're jealous. Here... Here's the crutch of that issue. This isn't Laravel 3. Hell, this isn't even Laravel 4 anymore. You've marketed this. You've encouraged businesses to build on top of it. Your ecosystem has gotten very large. You need to make some changes with the way you manage things. We've had this discussion in the past around Simber. Simber was not that big of a deal. He refused to do it. He didn't understand the extra anxiety it put on developers trying to keep keep up with his with with his uh release cycle and not following simfer he implemented simfer does he mm-hmm. follow it to the letter no but you know what nobody does php mm-hmm. core doesn't follow simfer to the letter but he's trying we have a general guideline a general agreement on how things are being released he needs to now take the next step something taylor likes to do he loves the steve jobs i got the next big thing reveal moment that's fine for all his businesses his forges his vapor his envoyer do that do your next big thing reveal and get the oohs and ahs that you need don't do that with the open source project. I think that would have had this simple step would have helped alleviate a lot of these issues with Jetstream. Now, keep in mind, over the last couple of days, Taylor has acknowledged, okay, I will make some, some of these components optional in Jetstream. He has validated some of the complaints. In just a couple days, he released Jetstream coding it in, in in a silo. He wasn't apparently he wasn't engaging even his close friends, according to him. Uh, you know, he he wasn't talking to people. He was developing it because he wanted to do a reveal, and you can't do that in an open source project. You have to have some tra- you have to have transparency. I mean, ideally, you have something like an RFC situation where uh, something is proposed. You have a request for comments, discussions are had, and changes are made. But when you when you create big changes to a framework like this that has now 
been adopted by so many people and you create these changes without sharing, without even giving people a heads up or even any opportunity to give input, guess what? You're going to get criticism. I mean, you're going to get so, criticism anyway, no matter what you do. Yeah. But at least, at least if there had been a, a RFC process where there had been some documented discussion, he would have a lot more people who I considered had bring value to the table backing him instead of just the same people saying, Oh, don't let it get to your awesome. Thank you. Tweets. It's like, <laughs> no Taylor, Taylor, you know, we, we discussed this in this thread. Taylor mentioned this, this was mentioned. We all agree. This was a good idea. And it's like, why, why? I don't know. I just think he could do himself a huge favor. I know it's more to manage. Uh, it, he's also and, got all the, the, the fanboys coming up and saying defending like taylor's giving you all this stuff for free how do you criticize and there's there's a there's criticism and then there's going too far saying all he wants is people to lick his asshole right (laughs) if if you're stop using that phrase that is not going to be the title of the show if if you're that person you have problems (laughs) if you have if you're that person you have problems but having legitimate criticisms about a framework is okay to say this shouldn't be this way. This shouldn't have been deprecated. Well, Why has it been deprecated is not going too far. It's asking a very legitimate question. Okay. So I want to, I want to take where we're at and I want to step it away from Taylor and Laravel because this isn't an issue that's exclusive to Laravel or to Taylor. Oh, of course this not. Is, no. This is something that all of the open source projects have to deal with. And I think the best example of dealing with this is Composer. Symphony. Symphony. How do I how do I mute him? Well, I didn't even hear what he said. I said, com- I, said com- I said composer. I think the oh. best example here is is composer er, is Symphony. Now you got me doing it. <laughs> thanks, 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 thanks for agreeing with me. I appreciate it. Uh, Symphony. The whole framework is broken up into components. Uh, so when something new is added, it's added as a component. It the the core of the framework which I guess you could call the, the um, AI the, or the AD, the, the active loader, the DI, the dependency injector. <laughs> Shut up. I'm so confused. I, I would say that this, the way that you start with a framework like this is you've got your dependency injector component, and from there you add components onto it. And to the point where, where Symfony has a, a documentation guide on different builds, there's the small build, the big build, the robust, the API build, the fixed Everything about the kitchen sink build. Right. So mm-hmm. that's great. That's perfect. Uh, and, and Laravel's already broken out in this way with the Illuminate components. But why we're jumping versions every single iteration of anything is, is, is just a pattern that Taylor is using. Um, the other thing is Symphony is using a, an RFC... And a, I don't know what you would call it, a voting group for changes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, that's kind of what Core does as well. They have a, they have an open RFC stage, but right. only certain members can actually vote on things. Yeah. So Symphony has a board, and when something is approved and merged in, it's not John's fault. This fucking thing is here now, and we have to fucking deal with it. This thing was introduced, approved by the community, passed by the board, and merged into a specific version. So it's gone through mm-hmm. these steps where the criticism doesn't have a place to go because it's already asked for criticism openly. When you launch a new product or a new project out of out of the blue, all the criticism is going to come at the one person who launched it the day they launch it. 
Well, in, in the bringing it back to Laravel, uh, the, the the jet stream situation, it, some of the criticism wasn't even criticism; it was a misunderstanding. And again, with an RFC process in distributing that education beforehand, I think it could nip that misunderstanding in the bud before it before it started to propagate. And now, everybody just kind of thought, okay, well, this is what I have to use now. And so distributing you, you the authority. The thing about distributing the yeah. authority is that people are human. And when they get attacked for something that they've made, not something that they're supporting, but something that they've made, it's a huge insult. It can feel really personal. It can feel really terrible. Absolutely. And as people mm-hmm. who I, I think the three of us are very focused on mental health in the development community, we have to acknowledge that that I, the way he's doing things is bad for his own mental health. Keep my little, keep my little notebook right next to me all yeah. the time. Man. So Pins the recommendations, the recommendations that we're making as far as the process are to save him this kind of blow up for when a new thing gets released and or a new patch comes out. Because you look at other people who've had to deal with this for let's say thirty years, Linus Torvald, people hate him he is he is absolutely a genius but when when he is attacked he fights back real brutal real hard and that's the result of years and years and years of being the sole you know bdfl for the Linux kernel it's interesting you 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 bring up the whole mental health aspect there separately from laravel if we're ready to move on you have more you want to talk about there i don't want to spend the the entire show on no i I think i think we've One of the criticisms of this podcast is that we've covered the Laravel issues <laughs> repeatedly. I don't want to re- I don't want to rehash the things we've already said, but I, I think the things we've said are still valid. I, I think, especially you two, have done a fantastic job of trying to not make it personal, not make it necessarily specifically about Taylor. I loved Eric's response about you know we answer to clients, we push for Laravel, and then when Laravel all of a sudden makes this big change, and we have to defend our decision is huge so you've both made great points yeah and we're not even laravel certified developers (laughs) you may not be going on the (laughs) going to the 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 mental not illness mental mental health mental health aspect of it there was an an interesting tweet out there somebody said oh my gosh i suck now i gotta remember who's who said this i forget how i came across this whole thread but i guess uh iris Classen tweeted sure. out, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I suck. And then there's a whole back and forth. And then the question was, how much feedback should you give on a PR? And I think part of that is comes down to some people when doing code reviews, you know, they want to help as much as they can. And I think I'm guilty of this as well. And would love, you know, feedback from especially our developers. Where is that breaking point? When you're doing do you guys do a lot of code review? I guess I should start there. Uh, this is a stupid topic. We should keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I work with you, John. God damn it. <laughs> Why are Eric, you asking me questions? <laughs> because I don't, I, I hate when I feel like I'm just monologuing a, a whole story. So I thought I'd ask a question. <laughs> I can I can take this up. I, I think it can go both ways because I can get very frustrated being nice to my subordinate developers. Um, you know, we're pushing out a lot of SaaS 
technology, a lot of the ES6JS technology. And I want to like say, listen, you're writing, you're, you're writing code for CSS into templates. You need to put this into a universal SAS file. You need to make sure all the pages have the same definition because they use the same files and imports. You need to, like, I want to go off on them sometimes, but I don't do that. And I don't know if that makes me a good senior developer or a bad senior developer, but I, I generally try to say, well, because of the change we made three months ago, you need to make double sure that this gets put into the SAS file instead of into the blade template. You know, if you're, if you're going to test it there, sure, but you need to move it before your final commit. Now, this is also an effect of me not doing code reviews. I see this stuff when I bump into it later when I'm trying to fix something else. See, I'm a huge fan of code reviews, and I understand where they were coming from when it comes to getting too much feedback and feeling like, oh my gosh, I suck. Mm-hmm. I, I feel that often where, God, we've gone back and forth on this 15 times and it's still not good. I, I've and got that too. It, and it's frustrating. But at the at the end of the day, it does make me, I feel it makes me a better, better developer in understanding things like why they are being asked. Hey, you could do so, this. You should do this. You have to do that. Well, my my first. So let me let me ask a question though. Let me ask you both a question. With with that exact statement fresh in your mind, John, what is a code review to you? Because this is where this is where I struggle. Because when I'm doing code reviews, I catch myself all the time saying, "Well, yeah, that works, but that's not how I want it done. I would do it this way." And where is that line to you? Like. I, I actually just did a code review this this week with one of our developers where they did something. I'm pretty sure that had they reached out, we could have fixed it. But you know, they were doing it the wrong way. It wasn't working, and decided to take another approach. So in the code review, I didn't agree with his second approach. I, I still wanted to rewind the code and say, okay, take another crack at this, do it this way. And cause this is how I want it done. But then I, then I get caught up like, well, this is working. It's client work. They're paying us by the hour. Well, they don't pay us by the hour, but we're paying, we're paying our developers by the hour. Do I really want to pay this person to redo functional code again, just because it's not exactly the way I want it. And I'm not even sure if it's going to be a problem. So what, so, are, what are your rules with that? So, one thing I learned by following this thread, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Gitmoji. I use it often in my titles for PRs, like a little bug, stupid little emoji, but it helps identify things. And there's actually from GitHub, a PR common emojis as well. And we've been doing this a long time on the projects I'm on is there's various levels of comments. There's a, you could do this, like, if all of the comments are, you could do this, it gets approved. Like, no big deal. You don't need to change it. But here are some things to think about. There's, you should. Again, if there are a couple of shoulds that really aren't going to stop the PR from moving forward, it's, hey, you should do this, but I'm going to approve it. Maybe it's something to refactor later. And then there's a, you must. You must make this change mm-hmm. because it's functionally wrong or it doesn't follow our style guide whatever the case is, there's certain things that are blocking. And as a reviewer, you have to know what kind of where that line is. So when you're reviewing code that works, maybe it's not the way you would, you would do it, but coding is an art form. So there's not, it's not science. It's not always going to be your way. It's so literally if it works, called computer science. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> True. 
I, they made a mistake. It should have been computer art form. Uh, so when you're doing a review, if it's just if it's not just the way you would do it, I would make that a hey, I would have done it this way, but this works, so I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to share. I'm just going to share my thought process, but this works. I'm not going to stop it. I'm not going to make you redo it. Mm. If if there's testing behind it, definitely not going to stop it. Like you, it's tested. You know, as long as you're testing edge cases, which is a big deal to me. I like, like that idea. I like that idea a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's the big thing. When I'm looking when I'm looking at tests, I'm trying to make sure you're catching your edge cases. I reviewed one recently that was this is where the whole Laravel database thing came in you doing testing is because you're calling DB the DB facade, it makes it so hard to test specific code. And I'm like, you're doing you're trying to do a transaction here. But you're doing a rollback in the middle of a for each loop. That's not going to work. So it's just that whole thing is knowing what that what that line is, what you have to change versus trying to teach somebody your thought process. A lot of my reviews come down to I would try to abstract this out of this place because one is overcomplicated as it is making it very hard to test. And if you move this over here, you can make it much more testable. And here's what I would do to test it. So I, th- I like that idea a lot. Like, like a, I'm just already thinking in my head, like a rule of thumb, if something's done in a manner that I wouldn't do it, as long as there's testing to, to support it, where in the future, if I do want to implement, if I do want to refactor and implement my way, and then I can see through testing whether or not it still works or doesn't work, that's, that's huge. I, I love that, that suggestion. That's fantastic. Yeah. So we'll we'll include in the show notes, but on GitHub, just there's a PR comment emojis with just four simple emojis, a question mark for, I'm asking a question, but it's not blocking. I'm Maybe I'm just more curious about the way you've done things. Uh, mm-hmm. There is a little art, like an art canvas thing where you, you're saying that, you know, you could change these things, but again, it's not blocking. Maybe you, mm-hmm. maybe a simple refactor would be great, but if you, if we really need to get this out the door, get it out the door, maybe think about coming back for it. Then you have your blocking changes. Again, what we talked about, this just doesn't do what you think it does. You have to change something. Uh, and then the one that people often forget to do, and I've been trying to make a point of it, some sort of great job here comment. And their their recommendation is the cat with the heart eyes. I like what you did here. <laughs> you know, this is a terrible the- recommendation. This this was a this was a cre- stop it. This was a creative solution to this. You know, mm. not being condescending, but this was creative. I like the I like what you did here. This was simpler than I thought. Or thank you for all the all of this work. You know, there's complimenting someone's work. It goes a long way. I I agree. I got a compliment last week that it was just like, hey, good job. And I thought I I thought I had royally screwed up because of how badly this <laughs> deployment went. And it took an entire day, but getting the good job at the end of it was like, okay, I'm glad he understands. I'm glad it's appreciated. I like yeah. Buttery says in your code reviews are great. Uh, if there are well-documented guidelines for what will be reviewed. I think this is another another card I have in here. Uh, the 10 tips for better pull requests. And I think I've brought this up on the show before. But if your pull request is 50 files, you haven't. There's something more than likely wrong. Not necessarily. There are times where you're writing a huge feature, but keeping your pull requests focused. If you have a pull request with 50 files and three of them have just white space changes where your code reformatted, your your editor 
took your tabs out and changed them to spaces. That doesn't That's belong me. in that pull request. That doesn't belong in that pull request. <laughs> that, I, do I do it all the time. That should be a separate pull, pull request. You're you're refactoring something or renaming variables or whatever the case may be. That doesn't belong in a feature pull request. So there's a 10 tips for better pull request. I liked reading that. Keeping, you know, if I'm reviewing a, a pull request that is simple refactoring, like I literally use my IDE to refactor a file. There's very little review that needs to be done, especially if the, the comment in the pull request says, hey, here's all I've done. I went into this file. I used PHP Storm to refactor it, you know, to clean up the formatting. All I'm going to do is try and scan it for any potential errors, but I'm not going to spend five minutes on it versus a feature where I'm, I may spend an hour looking over the entire PR for problems. But like Buttery said, having well de- documented, especially a style guide, variable name guide, uh, like we're going to use underscores or we're going to use camel case or we're going to use snake case. As long as everyone's on the same page where my code review makes sense. Like if I'm, if I'm going to criticize you on your, your variable name, that's an issue. But if I can say, Hey, this variable name just doesn't follow our style guide. That's completely different. Yeah. All right. You guys know what time it is. Thank you. Patrons. Thank you to our Patreon, patron, Patreons, patrons. Screwed it up. Patreon. Leave me alone. <laughs> Yasha is in her trying to manage all these chat. camera angles. Yasha is in chat. He feels guilty. He says he's not active on Patreon anymore, and to take us take him off the list, he doesn't want to be associated with the show or something like that. I might be paraphrasing. I don't know exactly, but uh, <laughs> so I just let him know we still want to show we appreciate him. or them. I right. actually don't know if Yasha is male or female. So thank you, thank you I'll, for, I'll go ahead for your past support. Delete that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna do it live. We'll take, we'll take care and of you, Yasha. Right out of there. You want you want off the list? We'll take you off the Fine. list. I'll just put a strike so, through. Uh, so your so name I, I have, stays up cool. in shame. You know what? I love that idea. We should do that. We should just like like put a line through the people who bailed on us. Oh God! Well, then now they're gonna just bail on listening to us too. <laughs> no, thank you to our Patreons, patreon.com slash phpugly. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Uh, I hope everyone's gotten their lanyards. <laughs> Jesus Christ, it's a keychain. <laughs> I want to... All right. And, I want to know uh, about this. Good. I think, I think we're yeah. going to close it up with the, uh, the Hacktoberfest fail. All right, that's what well, I was going to say. I want to know I, about I, this. I have something I wanted to ask you guys really fast. It's, it should no, be go quick. For go for it. I didn't say we we're okay. closing up. Thomas did. I want to know about the Hacktoberfest <laughs> fails, but I also want to know what you're going to ask. So, uh, quick update on my Pop OS journey because I, I get a lot of feedback on that. A lot of people like me talking about the Pop OS. Uh, unfortunately, there's just not a lot to talk about. It's kind of been a non-event. Uh, there's, I'm using it every day. I haven't stopped using it. Do I make um, the switch or not? That's the question. I don't know. You're a pretty picky developer. Uh, it's, it's, I, hard. it's hard. My, it's hard because I enjoy it. I, I don't know. It's it's a hard call. So I still my, have my main reason is just around Docker and the speed of Dude. accessing things. So that's that's actually my question for you guys. So so anyways, for the most part, it's it's a non non event. My tool chain is working. I'm still getting used to the new database tool. I think that's the only tool I had to change. I can't I can't think of any other tool that I wasn't able to 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 port over. Uh even things like uh one password which which John and I use and then LastPass which we use in the company. Uh I'm I'm still able to use. 
I, I do get that feeling like last pass seems to work a little better, but I'm giving one pass another another chance another go, and it seems to be working okay as far as integration. So I do have this outstanding issue with the POS audio that at this point I think I'm gonna have to open up a ticket with System 76 on because it is getting majorly annoying. I've got like certain applications now that won't even respect the system setting on on what uh, output it should be channeling through. It's it's absolutely annoying and I'm getting tired of it. But besides that, uh, yeah, I, there's just the the Docker thing. So back to the Docker thing. Freaking Docker has just been such a pleasure to work with. Um, I had made the commitment of not putting any system tools like PHP, MySQL, Postgres, CouchDB on my actual system and only using them through Docker. Um, that, for the most part, is working. The one caveat I'm having, and this is where I'm asking, I, I'm just curious if you guys have any thoughts on this. For my development environment, I was using Devilbox, which is a stack of a bunch of Docker containers for my tool chain. It has PHP, it has MySQL, it has Postgres, it has uh, MailHog, it has pretty much everything I need. Uh, Elastic. Elasticsearch. Um, it pretty much has everything I need. But I am having an issue where if I want to spin up... So with our projects, we might have a certain version of PHP, but we have the Docker container in the project. So I want to spin up that Docker container for that project. And I'm having to shut down my devil box a lot. Now, the, the one thing that I don't necessarily need to shut down that I'm finding that I kind of want is MySQL. So I'm debating whether or not I have MySQL be its own Docker container and just always run it unless I have to, for some reason, run MySQL on another project for the re for any particular reason for the version. Well, well, or why? I'm confused. Why, what? What, what, why, do, why do you need... Why do you want a central MySQL container versus one for the per project? I'm glad you asked me that. Uh, because I like writing a lot of things, and I typically use MySQL as, a, as the data store. And I even have some external stuff that will talk to my, my system to record stuff to a database. So having a, a always running database on my system is easy. It's just less to think about. Um, why not? Why would know. you not have one for your system that ports 3306 to an internal container for those things, but then have your projects on, like, you don't need access from your local machine on 3306. It could be any other yeah. port. Yeah, that's, a, that's valid. I, I thought about doing that, like running my, my, whatever you call primary database on a different port and just leaving that as a Docker container always running. Yeah, maybe that's what I'll do. I just, but yeah, for the most, I, I think are you, you using I think Docker you, Compose? Yeah, yeah, yeah Docker you know, Compose. Yeah, I would I just think, emulate whatever your your server environment is per project. We we are, and that's where I'm. That's where I'm <laughs> concerned that. Welcome to the show, what, Thomas. That's where I'm concerned with what you're suggesting is take basically stopping the MySQL server per project and having it all on a central one where there's no need to do that. Well, I, I so for the most, so there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, rarely is the data store a factor. So if I ran a MySQL eight, 99% of our, of our projects are, are, our new projects are on MySQL 8, but even the older ones, it's just not that big of a factor. Now, what I get, what I run into a lot 
and, and John, you might get this as well, is I'm working with a client. I'm working on a client project and I'm doing something. And then one of our developers in a completely different project will ask me a question about the data database. So either I have to then spin down the, the stuff I'm working on, spin up that project just to get access to the database, or I have a centralized database that I'm always using but and everything's to, talking to it. Why do you have to spin down the one you're on versus just spin what, them what both if it, up? What if, well, then, then, I, then I'm, then I'm on, on this whole port management system, right? Where each one ha- is using a different port. I, I don't that, feel like that. That should... But that should be in your ENB file for your for your Docker Compose. That should be in your ENB file. So it's a one time change. You set it. You put it into whatever your MySQL GUI is, saying, "Okay, for this project, there's going to be port three three oh seven now." And then you don't think about mm-hmm. it again. It's a one time uh, thing, and I'll you don't have to worry about that. that. Yeah, I don't know if I like that one. I guess, but but then you got to do the same thing to the web server. You got to do the same thing to any other services you're running. Yeah, it's kind of a and the web server is a pain in the ass because then you do have to remember it in the URL. So I don't know yeah. that. I just like having if somebody calls if somebody messages me and says, "Hey, in this project on this table." You know, we have these columns. What's this column mean? And me being able to go to a da- to a database without having to stop what I'm doing, spin up the container and look at it. I don't know. It just yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like a workflow issue. It, You're it, a workflow it, issue. <laughs> it's a fair point. If you can make it work, more power to you. I mean, there's there's nothing stopping. I like you. that. Uh, the hard part uh, doesn't the networking become an issue between all the projects? How does that work? Uh, honestly, I've never tried it. Well, that that was actually going to be my one of my questions for you, John, because I remember you had you had mentioned to me uh, how uh, you could configure a Docker container to use the native system service by by some sort of address for the Mac. Mm-hmm. I was going to see if there was something like that for Linux because because on my system, like you said, if I just put it on a different port. Another Docker container just needs to talk to my system on that port. It doesn't know. It doesn't have to realize it's talking to another Docker container. Okay, just hear me out. A VM for each project with a constantly running Docker container, so you just switch between your VMs. That's that's what I'm proposing. Well, that's what I originally proposed. John actually had, I thought, a better idea, which was running centralized MySQL on a different port, so that if my project has its own uh version it could spin up easily if if there's a kernel i didn't realize this is gonna be such a big 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 conversation (laughs) if there's a kernel programmer out there a linux kernel programmer the ability to shortcut ports in a host file along with the host names would just be the best thing ever i mean it, it kind of is already from the sense that uh it will you can create a .env file for Docker Compose, and then when you expose the port, you just reference that .env file of what port you want it exposed to. But having a way to dynamically do it, like just find a freaking port for me, and then handle you know handle that request or something. I don't know. I mean, like like with 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 Vagrant, it sounds so easy. which is which Vagrant is a complete VM, so it's it's a it's a different different technology but with vagrant you know it spins up everything on its normal ports locally and then it, you can expose those but you're addressing it like it's a remote server so it has its own ip and then you have to address it on that port so well different I, I technology have, i have a server that's running three 
different Docker web servers on it. And if I could get a subdomain that pointed to one or the other, that would save my Mm -hmm. life. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, I would love that. Where I can say, okay, this Docker container lives on, you know, on, on on, on this, this host name. Yeah. yeah, if there was like yeah. a if there was a I know you can do this in Apache and Nginx of course. This is just subdomain records and stuff like that. But if you could have a Docker file that did port forwarding for web services, I would be the happiest person. But but you do, don't you? I mean, isn't that what the expose command is? Expose port forwards to your No, but by host name. System. He doesn't want to go to no. port 81. He wants port right. 80 and 443 to always work. I want I want and domain catcher. 1 to point to port 8080 and domain 2 to point to port 8081 so that I see what you're saying. Yeah, so it's transparent to you when you're using it. Yeah, because I I huh. can't always remember what port piracy program okay. x is that, on. That that was a much bigger but once you uh, conversation type it in your Once you type it in your browser once it remembers. I don't understand what the problem is. I have lots of different browsers. It remembers what your address is always the same except for the port number. What are you talking about? It's always one two seven dot zero dot zero dot one port whatever. Well, no, because I manage these no. services from around my house. No, I, I'm agreeing with you, Thomas. Yeah. Anyway, I, I use domain. I use domain names for my projects, not one two seven dot zero dot zero one. So, when so I, you create an you create an Etsy host file for each one. I, I mean have that's in the what past. I do as well. But I, I have in the past. Now I. For for a team, it's actually part of the actual DNS setup. Hmm. So local. Okay, dash I do want to get. I do want to get to Hacktoberfest. I know we're running long, so I do want to get to Hacktoberfest. Well, you want to? You're going to try. I'm not going to let you because you're going to try to absolve yourself okay. really, really early on. There was a recent problem uh, with Hacktoberfest. A YouTuber had said, "Hey, if you want a free T-shirt, here's how you game the system." Now, if this sounds familiar, what, what a jerk. jerk! It's exactly what Eric. Had what? told people what? to do two years ago. Okay, in my defense, it was our <laughs> own repo. I wasn't telling him to go to open source repos and do this. It was our own repo, but, but it yes. was it was our own repo. But it was gaming the system. Now this YouTube video took off, and people just started jumping into every open source project they could find and submitting uh, basically white space changes as PRs to these repos and the whole Hacktoberfest thing got put on halt. Everyone said, stop the gears. This is not how you're supposed to support open source development. Uh, the t-shirt is a bonus for people who want a t-shirt, but the, the t-shirt is not a prize for, for tricking us. So Hacktoberfest has come out and said, well, okay, these are the new official rules. Uh, you don't get a t-shirt for just submitting a PR to a random open source project. They have to be cooperating with Hacktoberfest. So it has to be a Hacktoberfest tagged project. It has to be a PR that's tagged with uh, one of the requests for, for work that we accept. And the PR has to be accepted. And we're sorry that we have to do this, but the internet sucks. <laughs> Actually, I think I think it doesn't have the request doesn't have to be tagged Oktoberfest, but not the, the request, but uh, it has to be it has to be one of the 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 tags that Oktoberfest acknowledges as beneficial work. So uh, we've we've looked at this when, when, in the when, past, and that can that that can happen on the merge as well. It doesn't have to be the actual actual request, right? But um, 
And what, what's, what's, what's also happening is that DigitalOcean put a system in place to allow open source contributors to mark, which is just, again, a, a tag, a label, mark PRs as spam. And, you know, DigitalOcean is now watching those, those submitters. And I assume you're going to be put on a block list or something. I'm not sure, but yeah. So you don't want to, you don't want to mess around with them right now. They're, they're not happy. And I I think, I think DigitalOcean handled it very well. I mean, they, they implemented a system that was easy to manage that, you know, didn't really intrude in any of the workflows and gave the maintainers of these projects an avenue to participate or to shut them down. And, I mean, it doesn't stop people from creating the PRs, which is kind of unfortunate, but whatever. Hey, NeoVim is one of your projects. You can go create a uh, pull request there. Yeah, and you can go to... Maybe I'll just run it through my IDE and let it like line up all the brackets and everything. You can go to the Hacktoberfest page and get a list of uh, good first pull requests sorted by language, so it's whatever language you're comfortable with, um, documentation-specific requests, language translation. So it's not like this stuff is still out of reach. Uh, they haven't made it impossible by any means to get your T-shirt. They just want you to get your T-shirt in a way that contributes to the community and to the open source projects that they're they're intended to be helping so that's the that's the new rules for hacktoberfest we apologize profusely for eric's behavior in the past um we knew it was wrong then we we know it's wrong now (laughs) we didn't know our mic was hot when we said it um but there yeah there were were projects getting hundreds and hundreds of pull requests for just spaces in the docs so yeah running too long stop talking about it that's it we're done this is episode 209 the music's playing we're grooving we're we're done we're in the books thank you for listening thank you our patreons we appreciate everything i've been your host eric i'm john i'm tom keep Keep it it ugly. ugly thanks for listening to the php ugly podcast If you would like to support PHP Ugly, check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash phpugly. You can also follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at phpugly or join us in the PHP Ugly Discord channel. Show notes and RSS feed can be found at phpugly.com. To catch the live stream, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at www.youtube.com slash phpugly. You can also subscribe to the edited podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catcher of choice. A reading of five stars is always appreciated. And finally, thanks to our sponsor, the Diego Dev Group. If you are looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group at diegodev.com. Until next week, keep it ugly.